Tensions continue to mount in Eastern Europe amid the growing threat of a Russian invasion of Ukraine. NATO said on Monday that some of its member countries had forces on standby and sent additional ships and fighter jets to the region in order to reassure allies. We are considering to further enhance our presence in the eastern part of the alliance. This could include the deployment of additional NATO battle groups. The United Kingdom and the US, meanwhile, ordered families of diplomats out of Ukraine. Besides Ukraine, Washington has voiced increasing concerns about the Kremlin flexing its muscles elsewhere in the region, such as in Belarus. But Putin shows no sign of de-escalating, sending more military into Belarus. That country key to the crisis, says a former U.S. ambassador. Washington is calling on its allies to condemn Russia's recent moves. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken recently urged Brazil to take a, quote, strong response against Russian aggression. But the Jair Bolsonaro administration has not responded the way the White House hoped it would. And there are a few reasons for that. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Russia is making its move on Ukraine. Western powers believe the Kremlin has already set the stage for a false flag operation to create a pretext to invade Ukraine and install a pro-Russian leader in Kiev. In this latest geopolitical crisis, Brazil has decided not to side with traditional allies. Andrés Pigariol, among other things, you cover Brazilian diplomatic issues for the Brazilian Report. So welcome back to the show. Hi, Gustavo. André, this is the first significant security crisis Brazil has faced since beginning its term as a non-permanent member of the UN Security Council, a position it will hold for the next two years. How is Brazil approaching the tensions between the Western powers and Russia? So, as we reported on our website, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken spoke with Brazilian Foreign Minister Carlos França on the issue, asking Brazil to step up. But the country didn't respond the way the White House wanted, saying instead that Brazil supports a, quote, mutually satisfactory and peaceful solution. Now, that may sound like non-committal diplomats speak, but it actually goes along with Brazil's tradition of not interfering in conflicts that are not our own. But what really bothered Washington was the fact that Brazil went on to say that it supports a 2015 UN resolution as a framework for negotiations with Russia. And that document, written by Moscow, calls for the territorial integrity of Ukraine without including Crimea, which was annexed by Russia in 2014. Now, it's true that Brazil has a history of not picking sides in other people's fights. But there are other reasons for the country not to want to corner Russia right now, isn't that so? Exactly. And it's also linked to a decades-long dream for Brazilian diplomacy, getting a permanent seat on the UN Security Council. So the Security Council has 15 members, but only five have permanent seats and veto powers. The US, Russia, China, France and the UK. Brazil has always aspired to be the sixth member. Many see this aspiration as a kind of an overreach by Brazil, maybe the country overestimating its own international stature. That's not really the case when we look at the history, is it? Yeah, so when we look at the history of the United Nations, Brazil has as good a case as anyone to get their sixth seat. 
the idea for the Security Council first came during the 1944 Dumbarton Oaks Conference, a meeting of the Allied powers seeking to create a new international organization tasked with maintaining peace by force if necessary. The nations of the world should maintain, according to their capacities, sufficient forces available for joint action when necessary to prevent breaches of the peace. Brazil was absent from the meeting, but was the only country considered to hold a sixth permanent seat on the Council, an idea that came from U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt himself. The U.K. and the Soviet Union were opposed to Brazil joining, claiming that they were too pro-America and saying that Brazil would essentially be a double vote for the U.S. Right, but what does that have to do with the Ukraine crisis right now, almost a century later? Well, Brazil is among the G4 nations, a group of countries that are pushing for reform in the Security Council, adding more permanent seats for Brazil, Germany, India and Japan. The current permanent members are against diluting their powers, obviously, but Russia has been sympathetic to the idea and Moscow has backed Brazilian candidacies for other seats in multilateral institutions, such as the Human Rights Council. Right, and what else is influencing Brazil's behavior during this crisis? So... President Bolsonaro guides his foreign policy by his personal convictions and often his ability to have good personal relations with other foreign leaders. On one side, he has Joe Biden, with one he has never really gotten on. Bolsonaro was the last G20 leader to recognize Biden's electoral win over Donald Trump in 2020, but he has hit off with Vladimir Putin, particularly when the two met in Brasilia for a BRICS summit, a group of countries that also includes China, India, and South Africa. Vamos aqui nos preparar para fazer dessa visita uma oportunidade de alavancarmos a nossa economia. Also, most Western leaders treat Bolsonaro as an international pariah. When Antony Blinken came to Latin America, he chose not to include Brazil on his schedule. As our podcast discussed last week, many countries believe Bolsonaro will lose the October election, and they are pretty much running out the clock in diplomatic terms, uh, waiting until they have a new president to deal with. So while traditional allies were ghosting Bolsonaro, Putin invited him to visit Moscow and discuss how to deepen the relationship between the two countries. Last December, Nikolai Patrushev, secretary of the Russian Security Council, invited senior Brazilian officials to bilateral meetings in Moscow, including Brazil's strategic affairs secretary, Flavio Rocha. Rocha is one of Bolsonaro's closest advisors, with the president's aides often referring to him as the country's de facto foreign minister. And there are military interests involved too, right? Of course, yeah. In previous instances, the U.S. has dangled the possibility of making Brazil a NATO global partner whenever it wants something from the local government. Last year, the White House proposed making Brazil a NATO partner in exchange for excluding Huawei from the country's 5G auction. While Brazil did not flat-out ban the Chinese telecom giant, it did limit its participation in fifth-generation networks. And if the U.S. plays the NATO card again, will it work this time? Well, that would create a dilemma for the Bolsonaro administration. 
while the armed forces do want deeper integration with the military alliance between the US and Europe, the Brazilian Navy has its sights on Russian submarine technology. Sources told me that both countries are exploring cooperation possibilities in this area. One senior official from the Russian defense sector told me Brazil is studying how to properly equip its submarines with nuclear reactors. Acquiring a nuclear submarine has been one, one of the country's major military priorities in the past decades. So with plenty of push and pull factors in the decision, maybe it does make sense for Brazil to just stay out of it and find a middle ground. Well, maybe, but we can be sure that whatever decision the government does make, it will be with its own interests in mind. André, thank you very much. Thanks, Gustavo, for having me. After the break, a look into how Russia is trying to increase its influence in Latin America. We'll be right back. We at The Brazilian Report have launched an in-depth report telling you everything you need to know to prepare yourself for this year in Brazil. You might already know that Brazil will elect a new president in October, and there are several other issues you should be aware of, such as the impacts of China's recent transformations on Brazil, the extreme climate events that will affect Brazilian agriculture, the state of congressional elections, and which way the economy is likely to go. You can purchase the report on our website and all of our listeners can enjoy a special 22% discount. Just use the promo code EXPLAINING22. When NATO leaders and Russia sat down to discuss the Ukraine situation in Geneva, Russia's Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov floated the possibility of military deployments to Venezuela and Cuba. Ryabkov also compared the Ukraine standoff to the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, when the Soviet Union deployed missiles to Cuba, leading to a U.S. naval blockade of the island. And his recent words suggest Russia could be willing to literally revive those same tensions from 60 years ago. Lucas Berti, you wrote an article for the Brazilian Report about Russia's efforts to increase its influence in Latin America. What's the Kremlin up to? Hi, Gustavo. Yes, so we have written in the past about how Washington no longer sees Latin America as a major priority in its foreign policy agenda, especially South America. Meanwhile, China and Russia have been busy building bridges with the region, something we have seen clearly during the COVID-19 pandemic. While countries in Europe and North America were hoarding vaccines for themselves, the first coronavirus vaccines distributed in Nicaragua, Paraguay, Venezuela, Bolivia and Argentina came from Russia. And Russia also shares several diplomatic stances with Latin American nations, right? Yeah, so Russia's support for state sovereignty in the global south resonates particularly well in Latin America. Russia has increased its opposition to extra-legal regime changes in Latin America, which makes it seem like a crisis-proof ally 
for any anti-Western governments in the region. And this has created benefits for Russia. During the Russia-Georgia war in 2008, Cuba, Venezuela and Nicaragua publicly supported Russia's military actions in South Ossetia, while Brazil and Chile called for the de-escalation without condemning Russia's actions. In a March 2014 vote on an UN resolution expressing support for Ukraine's territorial integrity, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela and Bolivia voted with Russia, while Brazil and Argentina abstained. And what about trade? I mean, Russia is not that big of a trading partner for the region, not as the US or China. Yeah, that's true. Trade between Russia and Latin America remains small, but it did jump 44% in volume between 2006 and 2016, up to $12 billion. But Russia's commercial breakthroughs in Latin America have been most pronounced in the oil and gas sector. During the same period, Russian firms have made significant investments in the oil and gas sector in Bolivia, Mexico and Venezuela. Russian nuclear energy giant Rosatom signed an agreement with Mexico in 2015, one with Brazil and another with Argentina in 2018. And as we know, there are always other interests behind these actions, right? Moscow seems to think that improving relations will allow more access for Russian military and security activities. Moving into Latin America is also a way for the Kremlin to send a message to the Americans. During the annexation of Crimea in the current crisis in Ukraine, Russia has complained about NATO encroaching on its borders. By using Cuba, Venezuela or Nicaragua as a place for influence, Russia wants to send a message of its own. Messaging is not always subtle, is it? No, it's not. For example, in 2018, two Russian bombers capable of carrying nuclear weapons landed in Venezuela. Tonight, Putin is on America's doorstep with nuclear-capable bombers that can fly at twice the speed of sound. It's a bold move right out of the Cold War. As the Russian Putin became an important ally of President Nicolás Maduro, who is struggling under U.S. sanctions and in a full-scale socioeconomic collapse. From 2010 to 2019, Russian state-owned companies poured $9 billion into Venezuela's economy. Now, it's easy to understand why China would have that much of an influence in Latin America. In 1999, the U.S. was the biggest non-continental trading partner of every South American nation. And at this moment, China is the leader everywhere but Ecuador, Colombia and Paraguay. And even that shouldn't last for long. But how come Russia is being able to increase its influence here? Well, Russia's resurgence in Latin America has also benefited from a deficit in U.S. soft power. A 2020 Gallup poll in 135 countries showed that the approval for U.S. global leadership was virtually tied with levels for China and Russia, all revolving around 30 to 33 percent. In the Americas, U.S. leadership is viewed very unfavorably by its closest neighbors, but it is particularly low in wealthy South American countries such as Chile and Uruguay. I mean, one could argue that Donald Trump's demeanor while in office went a long way toward explaining these low approval levels, but he's not the only factor at play here. One reason is the U.S. long history of meddling politically in the region. That would explain why so few Chileans approve of U.S. leadership. Let's remember that the U.S. backed the 1973 coup that deposed Salvador Allende and led to the Augusto Pinochet dictatorship, which lasted for 26 years. 
But also, the US has given too little attention to Latin America in recent years. And that attention is mostly regarding immigration issues, so a more limited approach to the region. Lucas, thank you very much. Thank you. If you like Explaining Brazil, please drop us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it will help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. See you next week.